this is not an easy movie to make when you think about, you know, because this is a film that, and this is to Michael Bay's credit, and I didn't think I'd say anything to his credit, but the fact that he, and he said this in interviews, he wanted to downplay CGI because he feels all that's overused. He wanted to have actual stunt work, actual scenes, and it is shot in the streets. And a lot of what you see is actually happening there, you know, with the cooperation of the LA police. I don't know why they cooperated on some of this, but with their cooperation, the fact that you're actually seeing that. I mean, there's, there's some digital tweaking here and there, but it's pretty much, you know, real action. And I like that. I think that's sort of a, like a sort of old school approach that's appropriate here. You really do want to have feel that, you know, even though you're not believing so much of what you're watching, the fact that that's one car chasing another car. Hello, welcome to At The Movies with Mike and Marie, a show where two film professors talk about movies. I'm Marie Westhaver. And I'm Mike Giuliano. And today we're gonna to talk about ambulance and everything, everywhere, all at once, which sounds like a description, but it's actually the name of the movie. We're gonna start off with ambulance. And Mike, this was such a wild ride. I should say from the outset that this is a Michael Bay movie. So before we even start talking about it, let me just say, come for the action. Stay for the Bayham. <laughs> you know, I think all we need to say is it's a Michael Bay movie. Bay movie. <laughs> and you know what? It started me thinking along these lines. The moment I saw his name attached to it, I thought, well, it's a, it's a Michael Bay movie and it's called Ambulance. And if somebody asked me, what's it about? It's, it's about an ambulance. <laughs> and we would go from there. For me, and I'm only half joking when I say this, it's a movie and it's not a film. And the thing is, like, it is so ridiculous. It's so extreme. It's so over the top. It's so long. It's so this and that, that, you know what? You just got to go along for the ride. And, you know, I had mixed feelings about it as a, well, it's not a film, but as a movie, I had mixed feelings about it. But you know what? I mean, joking aside on this, it suffers in, in several obvious ways. One is the running time might not seem that excessive, 136 minutes, but there's not much actual storyline to hold you there because essentially it's about bank robbers who end up, you know, can you hijack or do you kidnap an ambulance? They take over the ambulance and then you take a very long ride through Los Angeles and a lot happens along the way. And that's basically the storyline there. And again, joking aside on this, I think there's a problem here that, that when you're on a ride like this, it's almost like a theme park ride. It can be fun, but at a certain point you want to get off, right? Or you want, you want the ride to end. You don't want to be dizzy forever. And my feeling is here, and this is a problem in so many Hollywood films now, particularly spectacles like this they don't know when to quit and this is one where it doesn't know where to quit and i'll kick ahead into well into the storyline and we can backtrack from there but as to a scene that indicated to me that they should just know enough is enough already so after this this hijacked ambulance has been all over la and we'll, we'll, we'll get into some of the, the details of that as we go along but anyway it's been a long ride already and then suddenly they take a, a sort of detour if you will and they go down to the los angeles river Okay, this is the concrete canyon we're so familiar with. How many dozens of adventure films we've seen over the decades in which there's a car chase through the Los Angeles, because it's not, it's barely a river, it's a trickle ordinarily, right? And so it's basically a speedway and you can race down it. And I've seen that in so many movies, good, bad, and in between that the moment they took that detour, that turn, I thought, oh no, now they're headed there. The only thing that adds a little bit of difference to it, if you will, a dollop of difference is that a helicopter is involved at this point too. And that's kind of interesting in a, in a technical way to watch that. But my feeling there was, come on, guys, you know, you've done so much that's already familiar to us from so many movies before. To take it there is taking it into like the worst sort of action movie cliche. And those are places. And you know what also happens when you watch a movie like this? You really have to turn off your brain while you're watching it. 
And if you keep your brain on, you're gonna count the brain cells you're losing scene by scene. When the film runs long, here's the problem. Things that are just so ridiculous, you gotta go along with them. At a certain point, you just think, oh no, that's like too much or just too stupid, whatever. And the script is so lame. I mean, some of the dialogue is so bad that you want the movie to move quickly so that you can just like get through it, you know, but this, this film, not that this film has pit stops or lingers much, but there are moments where it will linger a little bit and you get an exchange of dialogue. And I'm thinking, oh no, like, like if you were watching it at home and you could somehow like skip ahead, you know, if you could control the narrative that way, but watching it in the movie theater, I thought, oh no, I've got to listen to this like really stupid, stupid, stupid dialogue. And, and, you know, like, like at least let it end after, you know, 90 minutes, two hours, whatever. But when it spills longer than that, um, I think that's where this audience member at least starts to feel that it's it's exhilarating at times, but ultimately exhausting. You make so many good points. And I, I'm still stuck back at just doesn't know where when to quit. And I, you know, we should say that this is based on a Danish movie, which I have not seen, but I understand is 80 minutes long, which to me is like the perfect length of a movie. You know, an hour and a half is actually if you can make your story fit in that time period. I think that is a really good length of a movie. But I don't think the difference between the 80 minutes and, you know, the over two hours that you have here is it doesn't do more with the story or the character development or any of the reasons why you should let it flab out like that. Except that Michael Bay was making the movie. They gave him a huge budget and obviously told him to do whatever he want. And he just couldn't bear to cut any of the scenes. Now, I will say that I dragged my husband to see this and I drag him to lots of movies and I make him watch all kinds of streaming things, you know, talky stuff, you know, what he refers to as European bomber movies. And at some point he will say to me, you know, I need to see a robot or a car chase or something because I just can't take all this, you know, people talking and being philosophical stuff. So I thought, you know, this has got to be, I mean, there aren't going to be any robots, I told him before we went in. But I mean, car chases, we should really have in abundance. But he was just so incredulous next to me. I mean, so many times under his breath, oh, come on. Oh, how much blood does this guy have? He has bled out at least 10 times. There is no way you could actually do what they're doing in this. And so he was just, everything about it was just so ridiculous to him. And the part that got me the most was a... Um, sort of impromptu surgery done where a critical piece of innards is held together by a hair clip that to me was like that was a bridge too far that did take me out of the movie to joining him in oh come on marie that's one of the most memorable scenes in the film because it's so out there the fact that when they hijack this ambulance there's a paramedic that's in it as, as it's being hijacked and she is described in the script as quote the best paramedic in LA, close quote. And I thought, boy, is she ever, because I mean, her skills there, but the scene you're referring to is, you know, I mean, she's a paramedic, she's not a doctor, obviously. And, and yet there's a, there's a, a seriously injured man that's also in, in the ambulance and she's got, got to perform some impromptu surgery. And she, she's able to reach um, some doctors. And of course, again, this is like live action cartoon territory. The fact that they're on the golf course, right? And so the doctors on the golf course are offering her advice there and she's operating. And of course, Michael Bay is gonna show you stuff in close up you really don't wanna see necessarily. And you know, that, that's part of the entertainment value, I suppose. But that's 
one of the most ridiculous scenes, but since we're drawing up a roster of ridiculous scenes, let me even go back to, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal's like leading this criminal gang and they decide they're gonna rob a bank because they want $32 million and so on. So a basic setup for it. But you know what, when they go to rob the bank, ordinarily, now I have no experience as a bank robber, but I've seen movies about this. And I know that ordinarily you'd wanna put a mask on your face or disguise your identity or something like that. Nothing of the sort. They just go like storming in the place. Hi, you know, I'm almost saying, hi, my name is. You know, I must have a name tag or something. So that's one of the ridiculous things in, in the story. And then once they've you know, done the heist and they're making the getaway in the ambulance, she is the most amazing paramedic ever. I mean, her skill set is just off the charts. But the ambulance itself has off the charts uh, abilities. Like dozens of police vehicles are destroyed or at least seriously damaged during this chase. All kinds of mayhem on the streets. Somehow that ambulance just keeps going. It's like nothing, nothing can, they have reasons for not wanting to bring it to a dead stop, but just the same that it just keeps going. And this is where I'm like, your husband watching is like, Oh, give me a break. I mean, there, there are moments where, and again, in, in a 90-minute film, I could make allowances or it flies by, but when the film is running long, you start at that point, I think, to become a bit restless or, or, or critical in watching it. It's like when the movie should be coming to the finale, it goes to the Los Angeles River for another episode. And that's the point where I think I'm along for the ride and I'm starting to turn against it. I'm starting to think like it's too much already. You know, let, let, let us go, please. <laughs> The other scene that was uh, that my husband was like, oh, come on, was because there's all these, you know, reversals of fortune that keep happening. And at one point, you know, they're storming the ambulance and Jake Gyllenhaal is hiding himself in the ambulance. And my husband said, how do you hide? You can't hide in an ambulance. There's no room for you to hide in an ambulance. I did think, though, it was a masterstroke to cast Eliza Gonzalez as the paramedic because she was one of the bad guys and baby driver. So you sort of get that kind of, you know, it's a car chase movie. Yeah. And, you know, the uh, focus is going to be on her as the character, you know, who is the good guy trying to, you know, do what she can in a terrible situation. I also thought Jake Gyllenhaal was fun to watch because he makes a really convincing psycho. And I like him in, in almost everything he's ever been in. So I was not surprised that he went after the role with gusto. And it had its moments. I mean, we're, we're talking about all the things that are ridiculous, but there were some moments that were actually pretty well done. Like I, there's a whole point where they're listening to a Christopher Cross song that I thought was hysterical. And, and I did like the fact that they had these moments where the action sort of was leavened by these moments of humor, which I did think make the movie better. You know what, this is a real credit for the actors because as bad as the script is and as ridiculous as the scenario is, as we've been describing it, the performances you mentioned actually are quite appropriate for, for the characters, if you will. They really are convincing within an otherwise unconvincing situation. I mean, whether as, he does play a really convincing sociopath. I mean, he really, it's, it's explosive. It's just like all stops out. And, and you know, you got to kind of smile and enjoy just how he commits himself to that. And likewise for her as the paramedic, she was quite good in that role, actually. This is where you have to make distinctions between like a really stupid film but then how actors can actually be quite good within it. So I'm not faulting the actors whatsoever here. And they actually helped to hold my interest a bit because even when I'm dismissing and scoffing at the characters and at the, the action and all that, the actors are fully committed to these roles. And, and so, you know, and, and, you know, adding to that credit that we're paying to them here, 
this is not an easy movie to make when you think about, you know, because this is a film that, and this is to Michael Bay's credit, and I didn't think I'd say anything to his credit, but the fact that he, and he said this in interviews, he wanted to downplay CGI because he feels all that's overused. He wanted to have actual stunt work, actual scenes, and it is shot in the streets. And a lot of what you see is actually happening there. And, you know, with the cooperation of the LA police, I don't know why they cooperated on some of this, but with their cooperation, the fact that you're actually seeing that, I mean, there's, there's some digital tweaking here and there, but it's pretty much, you know, real action. And I like that. I think that's sort of a, like a sort of old school approach that's appropriate here. You really do want to have feel that, you know, even though you're not believing so much of what you're watching, the fact that that's one car chasing another car. I will say, I think Michael Bay really committed himself to this movie because if you look for him, he plays a cop in the background in two scenes at the beginning and in the end. And the dog, Nitro, is Michael Bay's dog. Of course, you know, they put the dog in peril and, you know, nothing happens to the dog. But I mean, it's an adorable dog, but it's sort of a throwaway setup because it's just there, you know, to create a problem that is then immediately resolved and then you don't see the dog again. I think it was just a way you know, sort of nepotism, like I got to get my dog, the dog stays in the movie. And of course, you can make sure that it doesn't get cut. But having said that, I want to also mention that this is the third film that Jake Gyllenhaal has starred in that's a remake of a Danish film. So if you like Jake Gyllenhaal, check out The Guilty, which came out in 2021, and Brothers in 2009. Now, the original Brothers that it's a remake of is a far better movie, but he is really good in the remake. I think Jake Gyllenhaal is a really good actor. Jake Gyllenhaal is a really good actor. And let me, you're an expert on Danish culture. You've traveled there many times. And, and you know, I mean, I've, I've taught Danish film, but, but I mean, you've been to the country and you know it well. What do you make of this? The fact that Jake Gyllenhaal has got this connection to Danish cinema. I mean, I made note of it, but didn't know what to make of it beyond that. I mean, what's, what's your accounting of this? Because he's done all kinds of films, but there's something about Denmark that obviously appeals to him. What, what's your, it's very much speculation, but what's your take on that? You know, I am not sure. I'm, I'm guessing it, it had to have started with Brothers, because that's the first one from 2009. And that, you know, I, like I said, I, I think he does a really good job with the remake. But the original movie is so good that it's one of those movies that should never be remade because, you know, they just got everything right. And it's a tough movie anyway. And I can't help but think after making that movie that he might have been either Danish directors then said, oh, he was so good in Brothers, you know, the remake you know, maybe he'd be the go-to guy for remaking, you know, The Guilty or, you know, Ambulance. And it also might go the other way where he thinks, you know, that Danish movie I remade, I'm proud of what I did there. So when approached again for a remake, you know, willing to, to, to do that again. But I'm just making it up. I mean, you know, Jake never calls. He never writes. I mean, I don't know. He just doesn't <laughs> communicate with me what he thinks about these things. But I do really think he's a very strong actor. And I think in this role... He does give you what I think sort of chillingly absolute psychopath who's really charming. And that's, I think, a delicate dance to do, which I think he pulls off. But really, it's all about the Bayhem. So like I said, go for the action and stay for the Bayhem. And if that is not your cup of tea, that is really the crux of the whole movie. So if that's not what you like, then just don't even bother with this one. Any other last minutes things to say about Ambulance? I don't want to go on as long as the film does. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, it's not a film, it's a movie. I don't want to a go movie. on that long. <laughs> All right, so now we're going to get to what I think is one of the most insane movies I have ever seen in my life with the best title ever, Everything Everywhere All at Once, because that actually sums up the movie perfectly. It is about everything everywhere all at once. 
but it is so bizarre. I just want to warn people before they go see it that, I mean, I thought I had seen weird, but this movie makes Eraserhead look like a Disney princess movie. It is so out there. Mike, where do we even start describing this movie? Well, the funny thing about it being so out there is that when you and I go into a film like this, we have a sense of what to expect, you know, some sense of it. But I, I like to hypothetically think about this movie actually, you know, has been playing wide. It's done well at the box office, actually. I mean, I saw it at the Charles under art house conditions, as I call it. But it's been playing at the malls and, you know, it's playing wide. And it, it did really well, you know, as it rolled out in a wide release. But what I like to think of sort of hypothetically, almost cynically, is like just somebody going to the movies on a Saturday night. Like, you know, hey, honey, what should we see? Well, I don't know. That, that looks like an interesting title. Let's go see that. Can you imagine somebody who goes in totally unsuspecting walking out of the theater what they must say we probably couldn't even repeat it on our on our show because the film is really extreme it's really out there it's really entertaining it's really clever in a lot of ways I have to say that although this film and to give the title is to take up most of our running time on the show I feel sorry for like the movie theater workers who have to put that on the marquee how much of it can you fit on the marquee even but the fact that this film has absolutely nothing in common with ambulance other than what I would call an excessive running time Ambulance has a running time of 136 minutes. This film has a running time of 139 minutes. Now, I'll tell you what, I really like this film a lot. It's really clever. It's surprising. It's, it's just a jolt in, in an agreeable way. But sometimes I felt like enough was enough. Like it just, it just keeps pushing and pushing. And I thought, okay, you know, maybe if they made it tighter, I would have liked it more. And I did like it a lot, but I would have liked it even more in that case. Uh, in terms of what the essence of the film is, I think of it in terms of what I call multiverse mania. There are a lot of films now, particularly within the Marvel Universe, and this is not one of those films. This has no connection whatsoever with the Marvel Universe. But the fact that by way of a trope or just cinematic uh, trends, if you will, so many films now, and particularly that kind of Marvel superhero movie, rely on, on sort of a, a universe skipping sensibility. That you, now, if, if it's a Marvel film, you're actually going to draw on other franchises, right? Or, or, or other aspects of your franchise, like or either, you know, earlier or later in the action, et cetera. And you're going to have characters popping up in a kind of supernatural way, like, oh, here's somebody, you know, like from 50 years ago, or here's somebody from another planet or whatever, or just some alternate wavelength, you know, here's something else. So we were familiar with that in the special effects driven, you know, superhero genres. And so that's something we see all the time now, right? Increasingly. Again, this film has absolutely no, no, no connection to that by way of the production history and so on. However, where it is connected is in that basic sense of you're living your everyday life and then suddenly there'll be things that happen that, that somehow draw on either some earlier or later period of your life or on some other um, like alternate self. I mean, how even to describe this after a while, different aspects of personality or different people within you or people you might become, could become. This film does a lot of that. And what it reminds me of ultimately by way of art history, as much as cinema history, is the Dada art movement of the 19-teens. Because Dada was so, irre Dada feeding into surrealism was so irreverent relied so much on totally illogical or seemingly illogical connections, juxtapositions, on all kinds of thematic connections that are being made that, that, that don't parse in terms of our everyday rational selves, where you'd have chance procedures deciding things, where you'd have, in a topical sense, a lot of satire of either you know, political figures or bureaucracies or whatever, and all that thrown together. Think about a Dada collage, where if they're making fun of a politician, that politician might have, you know, his recognizable face, 
but then suddenly as you're cutting the paper and making the collage on an animal's body, that kind of thing. You just, and, and you know, you all sort of laugh and get the point there, but you realize how rude it is, how, how deliberately it's funny. And, and it's also disrespectful and irreverent and all those things. This film is chock full of things like that. It's just totally, and to give an example of just like how it is almost like a Dada collages, in these multiple uh, universes or multiverses or whatever, we have to come up with a, a working vocabulary even to, to describe all this. You might have a, a different sense of what humanity is even. So you, uh, my favorite, like really totally out there surreal moment among all the surreal moments is you have these more or less human characters, but they have hot dogs for fingers. Now, sometimes like my students or my friends will ask me, well, why is that? Or what, like, I know the answer to this, right? Like I can explain it, but, but somehow, you know, in this film, at some point you accept it because, well, why not? I mean, you know, these characters have hot dogs for, for fingers, of course. I mean, why would they have anything else for fingers? So with that image of, of the hot dog fingers, let me turn it back over to you because the film really is, you and I, Marie, we see so many movies and we sort of know what to expect and it's sort of like, okay, this one was genuinely surprising and startling at times. And it was like a constant show, like, oh my goodness, you know, you know all these aspects of, of self and, and all these different universes or whatever they are. And I'm really intrigued by that. So the film always held my interest. It's almost like in some movies, it's like you sort of know what's coming next. In this movie, you almost never knew what was coming next. You know, you've hit on so many of the things I was thinking when I saw the movie. Now, when I go see a new movie, I try not to read anything about it other than the general description, because I, you know, I don't want to go in with preconceived ideas and I want the film to tell me what it is. So all that the, it said was a woman is trying to do her taxes. And I actually saw this while I was trying to do my own taxes. So I thought, oh, well, if that's not a universal thing, if this isn't, this sounds like this could go in all kinds of different directions. Well, I mean, <laughs> yes, it is about a woman who's trying to do her taxes, but boy, does it ever go off a million different tangents. And one of the things I always judge a movie by is, do I feel like I've seen this movie before? And I'll tell you what, I have never seen this movie before. I was wrapped watching it because you just didn't know what they were going to do next. And some of the things that they threw together, I thought, were just so funny and curious and bizarre. Now, I understand they wrote this with thinking that they were going to cast Jackie Chan in the leading role. And then they decided to use Michelle Yeoh, which I thought was brilliant, right? just to turn the trope on its head and have her, you know, an older female actress play the lead. So many interesting decisions made in terms of telling the story, but it was just so incredibly bizarre. You know, Jamie Lee Curtis as this sort of cranky auditor doing your taxes. And like you said, the hot dog hands, you know, a guy is wearing a raccoon as a hat. They get in, you know, everything bagels and googly eyes and all kinds of just, you know, you, you, you go between the multiverses in a janitor's closet so many details were so quirky that you couldn't help kind of, you know, rolling along with this bizarre story. But I actually love this movie. I think people are going to be talking about this all year once they see it, because it is like nothing else you have ever seen. It is just that weird. It really is. And I mean, I enjoyed it so much. I mean, I was just laughing the, the whole time I watched it, like almost incredulously, like, what, what next? But they're actually, you know, if you've never seen anything quite like it, in a sense, we have to some extent, the, the writers and directors of the film 
uh, Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, who were known as the Daniels. Their earlier film, Swiss Army Man, had Daniel Radcliffe playing a corpse. And that's a really surreal, really bizarre film. So they have already have a track record for doing that. But you know what? That movie seems ordinary almost by comparison to this one. So, you know, it's, an, it's sort of a, a stock line. You've never seen anything like it, but you really almost haven't with this film. And it's just so enjoyable. I really liked it a lot for that reason. And Marie, you also touched on other reasons why I liked it so much. The fact that, you know, Michelle Yeoh is really great casting. She plays the laundromat owner who's being audited by the IRS. You know, she's kind of cranky and set in her ways, actually. And, and, and you know, she's got, you know, she's being audited. But the fact that what I loved as much even was, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is such the herb bureaucrat. <laughs> and so the meetings they have in the office, who wouldn't in that situation? You're looking at the IRS auditor and the things you must be thinking or, or the scenarios you must be imagining. Well, this movie takes you there. And so suddenly here's Michelle Yeoh getting an opportunity to practice martial arts, you know, in, in the IRS office. You, you know, I mean, the, the, the forms of like vicarious, playful payback, if you will, or just this at uh, the level of fantasy. But in this film, after a while, you don't know what's going to happen next. And all those traditional distinctions between reality and, and fantasy all kind of just blur, or just or just get exploded. You know, I mean, everything registers at about the same level, doesn't it, Marie? I mean, you really have the feeling like no one moment or one multiverse is, is any more real than another one. And it's very destabilizing, but in a really happy, invigorating way. It's really fun to watch this movie. Yes, and, and that is why I think it, it is so well done, because it also folds in these ideas of missed opportunities and what it's like, you know, uh, over the course of a really long marriage, what it's like to try to run a business that isn't always doing well, you know, a lot of like real people kinds of situations, but then with all this sort of surreal, you know, bizarre stuff. And of course, Jamie Lee Curtis, I think this is just such a great role for her. She plays it with just shameless abandon of a, you know, a bureaucrat just sort of disgusted with you know, all the same old lies that people say and situations that, you know, she's pretty sure she could see right through. And while you're sort of enjoying her chewing up that scenery, you're also completely on the side of the people on the other side of the desk, because that's, of course, where you think you would be. You don't think you're going to be Jamie Lee Curtis. You're going to be the person with the failing laundromat. So it does fun things with your expectations. It took me a couple of minutes to recognize Jamie Lee Curtis, for example. But everyone involved in it, I think, committed to it, which had to be hard. Looking at a script that was describing this, I don't think there's any way you could imagine what it was going to look like when they actually made the movie. Marie, you make a really important point about why the film remains emotionally grounded. For all the flights of fancy in the film, the fact that the, the basic situation of the laundromat owner being audited by the IRS and Jamie Lee Curtis, she's frightening, actually. It, it, took, me, it took me a few minutes too, to realize that's who it was even. I mean, but she's so committed to that role that the actors are really well cast and really strong performances. But the essential emotional grounding, like, for instance, the laundromat owner and her husband, yeah, it's been a long marriage and he has divorce papers that he wants to you know, push forward and so on. There's some genuine emotional bonding or lack of bonding there within the marriage. And that is tethered to reality, right? So even though the film jumps off here and there, it always, I think, essentially remains grounded within a family dynamic. So as we talk about, you know, you know, the mother and the father and, and you know, a child and just, you know, that, that essential like nuclear family, that's still always essentially there within this storyline. So it's going to fly here and there, but always keeping us with it emotionally, it never becomes totally like uh, what I would call like silly or irrelevant or just, you know, flights of fancy. There's always that sense of what's our core situation that we are going to remain within 
despite all these other things. And you know what? Uh, in a very emotional, very sentimental way, that held my interest as much as all the like really surreal touches that are, you know, very engaging and very funny. But uh, there was a real sense of, of emotional connection, of caring about these people, basically. And I think that's because as bizarre as it is, it's not pretentious. You know, it, it is very, a lot of the situations as crazy as they are, like the hot dog hands, the emotional beats that they're going for really are very strong. You know, you really, the thread of it works throughout. Now, uh, we are getting close to the end of our show here, but I want to just throw by you because I think it's, it, it has to be asked. Do you think that this is a sort of a surreal take on the sort of parasite story where you're telling the story of you know, people whose story doesn't usually get told and done in a really creative way? Well, yeah, that's why I admire the writers and directors so much is they're taking what could be a stock situation and they're working it or reworking in such a way that it's almost unrecognizable at times. I mean, that's how imaginative, how clever it is. And yet the real cleverness is they don't lose touch of that, as I described earlier, that sort of core situation. Because you could imagine this movie somehow just literally taking off and at some point, you know, it'd be a flimsy story, right? And just be, you know, special effects or just, huh, who thought of that? You know, isn't that wild? But Marie, back to your point and, and the one I was making as well, the fact that it's always tethered to the reality of this family what it's like running a laundromat, what it's like being audited by. And I love the fact that the film came out during, during tax season. I mean, I love, I smile when you talk about you were doing your taxes and then you went to see this. But imagine if you had Jamie Lee Curtis as an auditor, you know, the things you would want to imagine at that point, you're sitting in the office staring at the bureaucrat and your mind might go elsewhere. Well, this film definitely goes elsewhere. Definitely does. So it is, you know, extreme reality within a sense of extreme unreality. But go see this movie because it's amazing. And it's, it's actually kind of hard to describe, but once you see it, you it will blow your mind. But that does bring us to the end of our episode. Don't forget to check out our other podcasts at dragondigitalradio.podbean.com and also under Dragon Digital Radio on Spotify and Pandora. And we'll see you next time at the movies. See you then. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.